Well, good morning. Uh, we all laugh because we've all been there, right? Uh, we're in a series. We pick a topic and talk about it for a few weeks. This series we started last week, Address the Mess. And today's topic is the best mess ever. Uh, catch you up a little bit. Uh, last week I suggested that you make a confession. Confession is good for the soul, right? Every time you saw somebody that, that their life was a mess, instead of being critical or saying that, thinking they're stupid or maybe even saying that was dumb to their face, that you would confess something that is, should be true of all of us, whether Jesus follower or not. And if you're not, we're glad that you're here. But here's something that's true of all of us. And we'll put that up on the screen. <clears throat> and can we say it together? I know a mess when I see one because I am one. That's pretty weak. Let's try it again. I know a mess when I see one because I am one. <clears throat> we make all kinds of messes. Uh, this dwelt on kind of physical messes, but uh, we have financial messes. We get ourselves in over our head financially. Um, we get into relationship messes, which probably are the worst or the hardest. Uh, we get into uh, health messes. Uh, one reason or another, we get in professional messes, job messes, school messes, all kinds of messes we get our get ourselves into. And of course, we have friends, relatives, acquaintances that also do that. So rather than being critical of them, judgmental of them, as we're going to see, that's not the way God treats us. I suggest that you say, say to yourself, if not out loud, I know a mess when I see one, because I am one. Now, when we're in the midst of these messes, we have a tendency, especially when the relationship messes, to think, if not say, something. And here it is. Nobody's Perfect, right? Uh, I'd often say this to my wife when I would mess up. Well, you can't expect me to be perfect, can you, dear? Uh, nobody's perfect. Uh, I don't say it too much anymore. And even if I were to say it now, I'm smart enough to say it's not an excuse. All right? Uh, just because I'm not perfect, it's not an excuse. But the fascinating thing we looked at last week, and you can catch up on Facebook or our, our website if you missed last week. When we make this statement, we're also... Stay, stating something else. And it's this. There is a perfect that nobody is. Right? When I say nobody's perfect, there is a perfect that nobody is. There's a standard. There is a belief that, you know, there's a way the perfect husband acts or the way the perfect wife acts or the way the perfect parent acts or the way the perfect child acts or the way the perfect Jesus follower acts. We have this idea, this standard and the weird thing, the funny thing is, where did the standard come from? I didn't create it. If I created it, what I would do is change it, right? So I wouldn't feel imperfect all the time. So I wouldn't feel guilty. You know, if I could change the standard, I'd change the standard. So there's this concept that there's this standard. Where did it come from? And we looked at the New Testament, looked at C.S. Lewis last week, especially C.S. Lewis, this just drove him crazy because he wasn't a Jesus follower. He wasn't a believer in God. And he said, why do all of us feel there's a standard that we can't reach? And eventually it led him to the place of belief in God and eventually a belief in Jesus because the only explanation he could come up with, and he was smart, smarter than I am, was there must be a holy God that sets this perfect standard. 
Also, we said last week, when, you igno- when we acknowledge our messes, we are baby steps away from acknowledging God. That was true of C.S. Lewis, and it's true of you, and it's also true of me. Now, in this series, I thought I'd share a few of my personal messes, okay? So, I want to tell you a story about when I was a teenager, 14 or 15 years old. Now, I grew up in Glen Burnie, a suburb of Baltimore, and we lived in this development of track houses, so every house was the same, <laughs> or originally was the same, three-bedroom ranchers, all right? Well, my dad, he was a pretty creative guy. It's sandy there, so the foundations go way down. So he, on his hands and knees, dug out the basement. Okay, we had a crawl space. So he dug out the basement because the foundation walls went down like seven feet. The ceiling wasn't very high, but we, he put a basement in our house. The reason I tell you that is because we got an extra bedroom that way. So we had four bedrooms. So when I'm t- time of this story happens, there was actually 12 of us living in our house. Sounds kind of weird now telling the story, but it was just life for us. My mom and my dad and my four siblings and I, that's seven, right? Our grandmother came to live with us, so that made eight. I had a cousin get out of the military. He was from upstate New York, my mom was from. He came to live with us. Then his mom got killed in a car accident, so his dad and three of his brothers, now add this up, maybe it's 13 people, um, Three of his brothers came to live with us, all right? Well, what's significant about that, my uncle had this kind of old beater car. He parked alongside the house. And the neat thing was you didn't need the key to start the engine. Stick anything in there and turn it, <laughs> okay? Now, growing up where I did, you didn't drive tractors or even lawnmowers. So I had never driven anything more than a bicycle, Okay? So my best friend just lived down the street. Uh, we actually, we lived on one side of the power lines. He lived on the other side of the power lines. Big power lines like out back here. And so it's only like a block from my house to his house, but there's no houses in between really. So one day, him and I, he was a year younger than I, got this bright idea, let's go for a ride in the car. Now the amazing thing is to me, how did I get away with it with 12, 11 or 12 other people in the house? But one after, late afternoon, we get in the car, I back it out of the driveway. Now, we had a chain link fence like out here around the pond. So we just had a gate you know, that opened up so you could get the car through. So I backed the car up. I drove down to his house. That's the farthest I went. Turned around and came back. Well, it was late afternoon. And when you drive back, you're heading west. And the sun was out. So when I try and pull into the gate in between that, you know what I did? I ran right into the corner post <laughs> of the gate. So I bent the post, I bent the bumper of the car, and of course I drove in. So I made a mess. I made a mess I couldn't fix. I couldn't go out and straighten the pole. I couldn't hide the fact that I had taken the car out without permission, without a driver's license, not even knowing what I'm doing. So we've all made messes. That's one of the messes I've made. You may have made a too big a mess that you can't fix, or maybe just whatever kind of mess you made, you just can't fix it. I couldn't fix it. You might not be able to fix your financial mess, your relationship mess, your health mess, your professional mess, your school mess. And most of the times, just like that mess, it's our fault, isn't it? I couldn't blame anybody else, and maybe I could blame my buddy Randy for egging me on a little bit, but uh, I, I couldn't blame any. I couldn't blame my uncle for... You know, in fact, I didn't take his key to, to start the car. So we make these messes, and often they're our fault. And we said this last week, the mess that brings us together, we have all, this, all of us have this in common, 
is the mess that brought God near. But today I want to make it a little more personal and say it this way. Your mess, my mess, has the potential to bring God near to you. Now the most famous verse probably in the Bible is John 3.16. Some of you can quote it. And it basically says this, God so loved the messy world or the messy people in the world that he sent his only son, Jesus, into this messy world. But really what's important and significant to us as people that messed up is the next verse, John 3.17. Nobody puts this on a plaque or hangs it, holds it up at a football game. Verse 17 says this, God sent his son into the world not, not, to judge the world, condemn the world. That's not why he came. Some people think he came, but that's not why he came. But to save or to rescue or to restore the world through him or to clean up our messes or us, our, our, our uh, uh, messy people. So I thought we'd just quickly go through a couple of these examples from the New Testament where Jesus is dealing with really messy people. John chapter 8. The religious leaders bring this lady, the lady to Jesus and those are down at his feet and says, hey, the Bible says, you know, the law says that she's committed adultery so we should stone her. That's the penalty for adultery. Now, she was a mess. She messed up her marriage, probably messed up somebody else's marriage. She messed up her reputation. She's at the point of being executed for her mess. And Jesus in his wisdom said to everybody there, he said, well, basically he says this. Those of you without a mess, you throw the first stone. And it's fascinating. The Bible says, starting with the oldest to the youngest, people walked away. They put their stones down and walked away. And us older folks realize how many messes we made. They kind of add up over the years, don't they? So we have a big pile of them. And so eventually everybody walks away. And then Jesus asked her, and I can imagine him saying this to her, uh, look at me. Look at me. Where are, your, where are your accusers? Where are your condemners? And he, she said, they're all gone. And the fascinating thing he says, next thing he says to her is, neither do I condemn you. For this huge mess you made in your life, I don't condemn you. And he also says, but this is stupid. He doesn't use the word stupid. But he said, stop doing this. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting other people. Basically, said, he said, go and sin no more. Another time, Jesus walking through this town, kind of a strange occurrence, this, this kind of, uh, well, probably the wealthiest guy in town is st- sitting in a tree. Kind of odd, odd to see, right? And we can kind of editorialize the Bible and say he probably had a lifeguard or two, a lifeguard, <laughs> bodyguard or two, uh, at the bottom of the tree because he was the most hated guy in town. We know him by the name of Zacchaeus, right? <clears throat> he was hated because he was a traitor. He'd worked for the Romans and collecting taxes from his fellow Jews. But not only did he collect the taxes, he robbed, and he, by permission of the Romans, he robbed money from, from, from his neighbors. So he's the most hated guy in town. But he had made such a mess of his life, and he couldn't fix it, and he heard about this guy named Jesus, and so he's up in a tree to make sure he gets to see him. Jesus comes along and sees him. Kind of comical. And he says, hey, Zacchaeus, come down here. I want to go to your house. Now, who were the only people who would be at Zacchaeus' house? Messy people like Zacchaeus, right? Because those people in town hated him. And that's where Jesus went. And I can imagine him saying to Zacchaeus, look at me. Okay? You made a mess of your life. 
All right, you know what you need to do? You need to repent, change your ways, and you need to re- restoration, restore the people that you've stolen from. And he does that. He does it even more than the law required him. And so by looking at Jesus from his big mess he's made of his life, he was dramatically changed, right? He was a new person. Uh, another story, Jesus walking through the, through the middle of the day and this hot part of the day. It's really hot, hotter than he gets here. And he gets to this well, and, and, it, and disciples leave him, and a woman comes along. She shouldn't have been out there in the middle of the day getting water. But the reason she was out there was because she was not accepted, probably, by the rest of the people in town. And the Bible tells us she had had five husbands, five and the guy she was living with, wasn't even, she's just given up on marriage, I guess, wasn't her husband. So five husbands, six, six men is a lot even today, right? It was just a mind-boggling back in that day. And she comes to get water, and Jesus said, hey, I can give you water. She won't never thirst again. Look at me. And one other person, Jesus is hanging on the cross. And there's two other guys being executed with him. Uh, we don't know what these folks did, but they, whatever it was was so bad that the Romans wouldn't even make slaves of these guys. Uh, you just, you, you're just useless. You're hopeless. We, we're just going to execute you. <clears throat> the fascinating thing is one of the guys starts a conversation with Jesus, and Jesus says to him, not look at me. I don't think he probably could have looked at each other, but he said something like this. You are coming with me. See you later. In paradise, by the way. Again, a guy that messed up his life so bad that the Romans were executing him. So I don't know what your mess is. I don't know how bad a mess you've made, whether relationally or financially, whatever it might be. Can't be any worse than these these folks. (laughs) Jesus rubbed shoulders with. It didn't condemn. Didn't matter. In fact, what Jesus did, he offered himself as the solution. How amazing is that? He said, I can give you living water. Now, if you want to know what God is like, it's kind of hard to figure out God, right? If you want to know what God is like, Jesus said, just look at me. If you know how God thinks, he thinks like Jesus thinks. If you want to know what God feels, he feels what Jesus feels. If you know how God acts, God acts like Jesus. So that's what we can know what God is like. He's not a condemning God. He's a solution-giving God. He's a mess-cleaning-up God, if you will. So we spent a couple weeks looking at something Jesus said in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Talked about worry. We talked about judgment. We talked about, he taught people how to pray. And at the end of that quote-unquote sermon, he gives this fascinating, great illustration Uh, But before we get there, we're going to look at something Jesus said after that woman caught in adultery. uh, The accusers left. Here's exactly the next thing he said. He said, I spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. You ever been in a really dark place and not have a light? Kind of difficult, isn't it? It might even be scary. Or you ever been in a dark place and be a, there'd be a light out in the distance? And that's where your focus goes, right? You ever said the statement that I, I, I can't see light at the end of the tunnel? And sometimes we'll say, well, I can see light at the end of the tunnel. Complete difference, isn't it? 
There's a, there's hope. There's a, there's a way out. Jesus says, I am that way out. I am that light. I am that one that can clean up your mess. That leads to life. Now, when you and I get in a mess, it wasn't because we were following Jesus, was it? Let's be honest. I wasn't following Jesus when I got in that car. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't obeying my parents. I knew better. I shouldn't have done that. But I wanted to do it, right? And so when you made your mess, when you got in your financial mess, you were not following Jesus in your finances. When you got in a health mess, you weren't following Jesus with your health. When you got in that relationship mess, certainly weren't following Jesus. So in our mess, what we need to do is find somebody with more light than us, right? I've got a financial, uh, uh, physical issue right now. I've got a problem with my neck. I try to fix it myself on YouTube and all that stuff. You ever do that? All right. It didn't get any better. So I finally went and got it diagnosed. Now I'm in physical therapy. Three weeks now. All right. I want somebody who has more light about you know, neck pain. This isn't my wife, by the way. <laughs> she made sure I tell you that. It wasn't her. Uh, my neck pain than I do. I had more light, more, more knowledge, more understanding. And I'm beginning to get some relief. Because right? in my darkness, I needed somebody with more light. If you had financial darkness, you know, Dave Ramsey... Uh, some other financial counselor. You've got relationship issues. You know, you go talk to a counselor. I've told you this before. Nobody calls the church and say, Pastor, my family is great. My marriage is great. My kids are great. My finances are great. They call and say, yeah, my finances are a mess. We got a call from somebody asking for financial help this week. Oh, my marriage is a mess. I, you know, I need somebody to talk to. I, hopefully, I have more light than they do, or Deb and I do, and, and we help them in counseling. So in our messes, we need to look for somebody who has more light than we do. Now, what we want is what? We want a quick fix. You break down alongside the car, you want AAA to come along and and fix it on your way. I'll call you next time my car breaks down, right? But life doesn't work that way, does it? You can't call AAA. And that's not how God works. But the reason God doesn't work that way is he's got a bigger goal than just fixing your mess. Now, the best way to think about it is uh, as I think this way. Those of you who are, are parents, fathers, uh, parents, to a good father, what's more important than behavior is relationship, right? Think about it this way. Would you rather have your kid obey you all the time and hate your guts or mess up sometimes but love you to death? Easy answer, right? Parents, easy and same thing with God. Behavior is important. God wants us to obey. But more important than that is relationship. So what does follow mean actually? Let's look what Jesus said in the end of that sermon. He said, but anyone who hears my teachings and doesn't uh, obey or follow is foolish. Dumb. Like a person who builds his house on sand. What he's saying is, we reap what we sow. We do things physically stupid to our bodies. We're going to suffer for it. We're going to do something stupid with our finances. We're going to suffer for it. We do something stupid in our relationship. We're going to suffer for it. In this illustration, it says this. So the rains and floods came. The winds beat against that house. And it 
will collapse with a mighty crash. There'll be a huge mess, a mess you can't fix financially or relationally, whatever it might be. Now, when you're dealing with other people, we all have to deal with other people's and their messes, right? thing to remember is most people don't get in their messes deliberately. I don't deliberately mess up my finances or my health or my relationships, but it's more out of like thoughtlessness, isn't it? So what is following Jesus? Uh, here's the simplest way I can put it. Following Jesus is agreeing with Jesus. That's it. Predeciding. Whatever Jesus wants, that's what I want. Saying yes before you know the question. And what do we usually do? Okay, Jesus, give me, give me your, your slant, and I'll decide if that's what I want to do. No, 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 no. Following Jesus <laughs> is agreeing. In my physical therapy, I don't argue with them. They give me exercises to do, and they pro, poke and prod, and they, pretty cool. Yesterday, the, the, the therapist suggested something called uh, dry needling. Anybody, anybody had dry needling? It's kind of a weird thing. Anyway, it's kind of like massive uh, central uh, acupuncture. They just poke, poke, poke. Anyway, I said, I'm open. You know, try it. Well, I got the best relief that I've had in a long time from this dry needling. I decided ahead of time, right? Yes, whatever you suggest. You have more light. You have more knowledge than I do. If I do that with a physical therapist, I certainly should do it with Jesus, right? And so he gives us an illustration. He gives us the, alt, the, the other option, the, the better option, the positive option. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it or obeys it is wise, smart. A person who builds his house on a rock. Now let's dwell on that word building. I've been building a house for Josh and Robin for a year and a half. I didn't build it overnight, Right? You can't build a house overnight. It's a process. It takes time. Uh, you don't make your messes usually overnight, do you? It takes time to make the mess. It takes time to clean up the mess. There's no quick fixes. If it was, what would we do? We'd keep messing up, right? If I could fix it like that, it's no big deal. The mess is not a big deal. So it takes time to build your finances. It takes time to build your relationship. It takes time to build your health. So next verse says, So the rain comes and torments, the floodwaters rise, winds beat against the house, whatever you know, issues come, you won't collapse because it's built on bedrock or a strong foundation. So I put this on your outline. You can't pray, and this is kind of this mindset in church we have sometimes. You can't pray your way out of a mess you behave yourself into. Don't we do that? Ah, oh, God, fix my neck. You know, I've been abusing it for years, but you're going to fix it overnight. I'm, fix my finances. Fix my relationship. You know, I've been screwing up in my relationship for years, and now you fix it? See, when we mess up, we're following something, but it isn't Jesus, is it? It's often our own crazy ideas. So you can't pray your way out, so how do you get out? Let me suggest that this to you from what Jesus said. You can follow your way out. It's a process, step by step. Dave Ramsey, for example, he would give you the outline to get out of your financial mess. A counselor, physical therapist, whatever, depending on your mess, you can follow step by step your way out. Again, there's no condemnation, right? The therapist doesn't condemn me for messing my neck up. 
And we don't condemn you. God doesn't condemn you. But it's an opportunity to follow your way out of your mess. And all of you, most of you, if not all of you, are proof of this. So I'm going to go through this process here, real quick, four steps. And if this is described you at one point in your life, you can just kind of nod your head, okay? Okay. I messed up. Everybody should be nodding at this point, <laughs> okay? All right. I gave up. Uh, we had marriage issues in our 13th year of marriage. I couldn't fix it. I didn't know what to do. We went to counseling. I gave up. Um, I looked up. I, 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 I said, God, I can't do this. I can't fix this. I'm a pastor, and I still don't know what, how a husband's supposed to act. The f- neat thing is, when you look up, what happens? God shows up. God shows up. Here's the other thing about that. It took the mess to arrange the meeting. If my marriage hadn't gotten to that place, I probably would never get the help, and I would never have been a better husband than I was. It took me going to being diagnosed and sent to a physical therapist to, to get the help. See, before the mess, you know, God might have been the God of your parents, the God of the church you grew up in, the God of, you know, nebulous kind of God. But once you get to the mess, God becomes personal, doesn't he? Like he was for Zacchaeus, or the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, the thief on the cross. Here's the interesting thing. Why have you and I heard of these folks? These are... Big time screw ups, right? And you and I, 2,000 years ago, have heard about them. The reason is because they stood up. So I'm going to ask you to do something uncomfortable. And, you know, I'm not force anybody to do this. But this is you. If this is you right now, for the first time, or for the hundredth time, you've messed up, you've given up. Next screen. <laughs> I, I look, you've looked up and you want God showed up or you, God's already showed up. I want you to stand up. All right? Right now, just stand up. Take courage, I know. Like I said, this is uncomfortable. I expect everybody to stand up. All right? Thank you, thank you. I'm going to pray for you all, but the rest of you, why don't you stand up with them? All right? Okay. Pray. We'll have a song and let you go. Father God, we thank you so much that you're the God of messy people, because that's all of us. And I pray some of these folks are in a mess right now. God, you, you know. And uh, the tendencies want to get out of it instantaneously, and it's not going to happen that way. It never does. But God, I just pray that they would have the courage to follow you through the process, step by step. And if folks need help, that they would ask for help. Uh, most of the time we can't fix it ourselves. I couldn't fix my neck myself. Most of us can't fix ourselves. And that's why we say following Jesus, changing together. God, I thank you for the body of the church that we do this together. We thank you there's no condemnation from you. It's so easy for us to feel that you condemn us, but you love us enough to die for us. We call that grace. We don't deserve it. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.